0: Welcome back to the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers can expand their understanding of functional endocrinology and testing, and everyone, no matter who you are, can learn more about their body's most complex communication system. I'm Noah Reed, Vice President of Sales and Marketing for The Dutch Test. And coming up on this week's episode, we get to listen to a really unique conversation with the President and Founder of The Dutch Test, Mark Newman, and our Director of Clinical Education, Dr. Debbie Rice. We're going to talk about the things you'll see on The Dutch Test in clinical practice. Hopefully this will give you a little bit of understanding as a new provider what to look for when you're reading The Dutch Test. So, on to this week's show.
1: Thanks, Noah, and thanks to Dr. Debbie Rice for coming back for a second round of questions. I am excited for this set of questions because I think of anyone... Yeah, of anyone I know, when my friends have problems, particularly female friends, and we test them, and then they're like, what the heck do I do now? Uh, what, actually, one of the bad things about you being so important in our company is you're not available to see patients anymore. <laughs> That's um, right. And you were my number one referral. Of, I knew if I sent someone to you with a set of Dutch test results and whatever else is going on, <laughs> that you could fix them. Uh, so I want you to help other people fix their patients. So here's my question yeah. for you. Is As patients come to you as a doctor of functional endocrinology and the things that you're really good at. Um, I want you to tell us what some of those really common themes that you see uh, are in your patients. And then I want you to take a step further and say, okay, when I see these particular things, these are the things I see in the Dutch test in terms of patterns that I'm going to recognize and that um, are going to help me in my quest to find health for them. So what are the, what are the, what types of patients are coming to see you and what do they look like on the Dutch test?
2: Yeah, the great questions. I think um, in as a naturopathic physician, we get a lot of hormones that come in, right? Like they have concerns about thyroid, they have concerns about menopause, perimenopause, hot flashes, tired. That's a big one. I'm so tired, and I'm not where I was before. Like I just don't feel like myself. Um, that that's probably the biggest complaint that walks through my
1: door. Fatigue. Okay, so a fatigue patient, the, the stereotypical fatigue patient that you see. Uh, When you then get their Dutch results back, Mm -hmm. what are you, uh, what are you guessing you're going to see there and how does that help you?
2: So that, that is a even better question, Mark, because they're as much as I can best guess, right? Like, oh yeah, there's going to be some stuff going on with your adrenals. Sometimes it's because they are so stressed that their cortisol is like through the roof, right? They're not able to sleep. They're not able to like just calm themselves down to be able to make it through the day and then also be able to sleep again not happening. Then you have the other people that are so stressed for so long that their adrenal glands are just like puttering to try to get them through the day. Um, and that's with regard to cortisol and stress response. But when we're looking at sex hormones, there's a, there's a big range, right? Like there can be estrogen dominant, PCOS type presentations, irregular cycles, fertility. Those are going to be other bigger ones that come through my door. Um, And when we're looking at that on the Dutch test, you know, I'm not surprised to see somebody, if they have irregular cycles, cramping, breast tenderness, you know, heavy cycles, that they're probably going to have a lot of imbalance with their estrogen and progesterone, usually meaning they don't have enough progesterone. And that may either lead to true estrogen dominance where they just have blatantly high estrogens or they have normal estrogen production and even normal estrogen metabolism, they just don't have the progesterone to match it. But we also want to look at that androgen component because that's another balance with the estrogen and progesterone, right? Like, do they have enough androgens to help with energy and sleep and mood, muscle mass, or do they have too much because their body is like freaking out because they're running from a saber tooth tiger?
1: Right. So. So for your fatigue patients, cortisol is kind of the place you start and mm-hmm. then the, the reproductive hormones add in like really important complementary information. Absolutely. Um, and of course most people have multiple things going on, but you mentioned yes. your PCOS patients. So mm-hmm. someone walks in your door, PCOS Dutch test, like what are you, what are you looking for to, to tease out of them and how's that helpful?
2: Yeah. So I think there's, there's like this sex hormone component of PCOS. And then there's this adrenal component of PCOS. So in your standard PCOS type of presentation, a lot of times it's going to be higher estrogen, higher androgens, and when we're talking about androgens, we're talking about testosterone and DHEA. And in this, it usually shows up as low progesterone. So they have, you know, Estrogen is the driver, the proliferator, right? Like, but when you have a lot of estrogen and you have a lot of testosterone and DHEA, like that is irritability to the max. Like nobody is happy with that. And then they can't even sleep, right? So they can't even like calm themselves down. And their cycles may be super irregular or not, um, but they still have those symptoms of estrogen dominance that are irritability, breast tenderness, right? Feeling overheated, feeling agitated, irritated, those kinds of things acne, hirsutism, right? Like all of that too. Skin is a big thing that can happen with PCOS as well.
1: Right. So a generally lower progesterone, generally higher estrogen. And then I would imagine the estrogen metabolism is sort of a wild card in that it totally. could look like an, any number of things that's totally. going to play into that story. Yes. So then when you get to the androgens, uh, if I've got acne and the like, um, thinking that could be, I make too much DHEA, I make mm-hmm. too much testosterone. That mm-hmm. seems like a common pattern you'd see what about the metabolism so we know the most potent androgen is DHT mm-hmm. which is testosterone pushing down that alpha pathway so for your yeah. PCOS patients is that a wild card is that consistently tend to be that high 5 alpha push like what about that piece of it
2: that's I, in general i would say that we do see that alpha preference right so when we're talking about androgens they have, they have a choice to go down the alpha or the beta pathway, right? The alpha pathway is more androgenic, meaning more of those high androgen symptoms, irritability, facial hair, acne, loss of scalp hair. The beta pathway is less androgenic, and that one can be balancing for some people, but in PCOS patients, because a lot of times with PCOS, you see insulin dysregulation, blood sugar dysregulation. A common tie with that is the preference down the alpha pathway. So it's not uncommon to see that on a Dutch test.
1: So we've got this connection between insulin that pushes 5-alpha, right? In a serum or saliva test, we can look at DHEA, we can mm-hmm. look at testosterone, but you know, yeah. urine and Dutch gives it, us that unique additional picture yes. of, am I pushing down that androgenic pathway? So if I am as a woman, and it's because insulin's pushing in that, you're dealing with the insulin. Mm-hmm. So do you typically just deal with the insulin and watch it, or do you sometimes also use things that that push that 5-alpha metabolism away from DHT.
2: I think it depends on how symptomatic they are, how miserable they are with their symptoms, right? Like some people have that 5-alpha push, but they don't have any symptoms. So we may not need to intervene with, you know, 5-alpha balancing in that way. We're going to be looking at more of the lifestyle blood sugar regulation. But for those people that are really symptomatic, we're going to do both.
1: One of the things I've learned about myself, which is interesting. One, I don't methylate. I've got a COMT well, SNP. Maybe we're related, um, <laughs> distantly. Um, I've got a COMT. I'm homologous for the, the broken COMT, and my estrogens never methylate. Uh, my androgens and everything on my panel pushes heavy, heavy beta. So I'm not 5-alpha. I'm 5-beta. Um, one of the things I found in the literature that's interesting is that correlates to some degree with hypothyroidism which is kind of a fun little yes. um, little nugget is five beta metabolism has a correlation with hypothyroidism. I don't know if that's what drives it for me, but for you, when you're dealing with patients with thyroid, mm-hmm. we often get asked like, why don't you test thyroid? And our answer is it's best tested in blood. In serum. Go yeah. do a blood test make it comprehensive so you're looking at tsh and tpo but also you know t4 t3 free t3 Mm -hmm. maybe reverse which is getting you know way over my head when you start (laughs) getting into those things Um, but we think that's the best way to look at thyroid and we complement that well in in terms of the information that we give how do you uh, what do you expect to see on a dutch test for someone who's got like an overt thyroid issue going on
2: so and it's interesting because i've even spoken to providers that are like man I keep doing the blood testing. The TSH is like, it's just in there, the free T3, it's just in there, but their symptom picture is so suggestive of hypothyroid, I'm gonna run a Dutch test and see what happens. And a lot of times, the Dutch test will come back with, oh, yep, it looks like hypothyroid. And so when we're looking at that pattern, right, we're looking at low capacity to make cortisol because if you have low metabolism, right, the thyroid gland manages all of the metabolism of everything right so if your thyroid gland is not able to keep up with its own metabolism your adrenal glands also can't keep up with that right so you're going to have a low production of cortisol meaning low what metabolized cortisol. so metabolized
1: cortisol tends to be low and we can see that in the literature pretty mm-hmm. clearly that yep. metabolized cortisol tends to be low with hypothyroid what else do you see in those patients
2: In that combination, we also see a high or higher free cortisol because everything has slowed down, right? So your production is low of cortisol. So your metabolized cortisol is low. And then your capacity to clear free cortisol is also low. So you end up getting this little pile up of free cortisol. Some people look at that as like, yay, I still have cortisol, which may be good, but it's also indicative of something else that needs to be fixed, right? So just looking at that balance of the metabolized cortisol, what your body's making versus the free cortisol, what your body's able to use. And that creates a, a good picture for hypothyroid too. And the conditions,
1: the, the, the condition singular that comes to mind when you start talking that way is Hashimoto's. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the other, or maybe that's the end of the list, what are the, the titles of things that you're going to see in practice that, um, that that would be relevant for.
2: So it's interesting because Hashimoto's is that autoimmune component of thyroid and you may or may not have hypothyroid with Hashimoto's. So there are some people that test positive for Hashimoto's. They have the antibodies there, but it hasn't negatively affected the function of their thyroid. A lot of times, though, by the time they've come in to get testing, mm-hmm. they have Hashimoto's and they have low thyroid, whether it's functional low thyroid or blatantly low thyroid. Um, I would say it's more diff You can see something like Graves, which is the complete opposite when we look at how the thyroid is functioning. It's more of a hyper thyroid presentation, but Graves is still an autoimmune presentation for thyroid. And that's going to be flipped, right? Like your body's making tons of cortisol and it's also clearing your cortisol really quickly. So you have a higher metabolized cortisol with a low free cortisol, and that shows up as a hyperthyroid presentation. So.
1: Okay. We've had some really blatant examples of that, which make for really interesting case studies where uh, particularly the people that are, are fun for us, um, and <laughs> not fun not for them, fun for, fun the patient, for us, yeah. uh, but is when you see <laughs> that pattern, you raise it as a concern and it is at that point unknown. Mm-hmm. And then the provider, I mean, then that's mm-hmm. really the, where the power of, of the testing comes in is when it's suggestive of something that is, is presently unknown. And then they Absolutely. go, you know, uh, barking up that tree and they find that, oh, this patient does have Graves disease. And then mm-hmm. of course they start treating them. And then the follow-up testing becomes, um, really interesting
2: mm-hmm. and relevant
0: and that's what I love when, when one of the providers that we work with, she, she described our tests as an investigative tool. It's not diagnosing yeah, yeah. any of these conditions, but it's helping ask that next question and getting to the root cause of what's going on, what do we need to look for next as we're going through it, because you get more data points, and it gives you mm-hmm. the ability to ask the next best question to help the patient feel better. And
1: one of the reasons it's not diagnostic uh, in, in a lot of sense is because you can get the same picture from different causes, mm-hmm. right? So like the Graves' disease patient, looks an awful lot like a stereotypically obese patient. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go there. So for your patients yeah. that are struggling with weight loss, insulin dysregulation, um, you know, they've been overweight for a while and they're struggling on that front. What what types of things do you tend to see fall out of the, the Dutch test for those patients?
2: Yeah, it's a pretty standard picture when we see this, right? You have a lot of production of cortisol and with this, you don't have a lot of availability of free cortisol. So you have high metabolized cortisol, you have low free cortisol. And we, I always try to remind people that the more fat we have on our body, I mean, whether you have a little bit or a lot, we have to remember that fat cells become their own endocrine organ and they will use cortisol to their advantage. So they will kind of steal the cortisol. So when there's a lot of cortisol being produced, your fat cells are in there using it, right? But it doesn't mean that it's available to you. It's almost like insulin desensitization, right? Like your body's making a bunch of insulin so you can manage your blood sugar, but you're not able to use that insulin for your advantage, if that makes sense. So same thing with cortisol. Yeah.
1: We've got a, a paper that we hope to publish soon that shows that our, our correlation between as people get heavier and free cortisol, there's no, there's no real trend there. And then when you look at the metabolites, there's a really strong and positive trend of those being the best marker for production of cortisol. Mm -hmm. it really is this picture of adipose tissue sort of stealing and sequestering that cortisol. And it finds its way into the toilet as a metabolite, your adrenal glands got to keep up with that. Mm -hmm. So that's, as you said, sort of a stereotypical Um, Picture. what other things do you investigate heavily for a patient who's obese when uh, just thinking of, you know, reproductive hormones or Mm -hmm. organic acids or what, what other things do you see in those patients?
2: Yeah. I mean, we're looking at inflammation. We're looking at oxidative stress. Um, With obese patients, estrogen is very similar to cortisol. So you get a lot of, whether this is because inflammation can upregulate that conversion of your androgens to estrogen, right? So you have aromatization to estrogen. Um, You just convert everything to estrogen. So you end up having a lot more estrogen. So you see a lot more estrogen dominance in people that have more fat tissue and adipose tissue as well.
1: So heavy estrogen, if I'm overweight, if I'm overweight in a man and I have a lot of estrogen, is is to the degree that my testosterone, you're looking at uh, hypogonadism as well?
2: Could be. Absolutely. I think it depends on where you're at in that process.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Another topic that comes up a lot is the big C word, cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's don't talk as much about what a cancer patient might look like, but Mm -hmm. let's talk about prevention. So Mm -hmm. if I'm thinking I'm going to do a Dutch test because my aunt has breast cancer and I'm feeling high at risk, that sort of female patient. um, What types of things are you investigating on the Dutch test that may be related?
2: everything (laughs) like everything so higher so make a hierarchy (laughs) for us um i'm looking at how much estrogen are they producing right like if this is an estrogen uh if it's breast cancer estrogen dominant right or any kind of hormone cancer i want to know how much hormones are they making and a lot of times it's going to be about estrogen right like how much estrogen are they making and how are they processing their estrogen do they have a lot of 4oh are they able to methylate it what does that look like um, how much progesterone are they able to balance their estrogen with? So I think that that's an important component, not just how much estrogen, but how much progesterone can balance that
1: So estrogen production Mm -hmm. is, is my progesterone adequate to balance that. Mm -hmm. And then phase one, I'm hoping to lean more towards the two and away from the four and the 16, and then I'm hoping to methylate
2: those estrogens. Mm -hmm. Okay. What else? Uh, I also look at cortisol because we want to make sure, you know, if you have a flat cortisol curve, you're not going to have an immune response. Mm. Right? So we see that in research. If you have low cortisol in the morning, you have a slower ability to respond with your immune system. So we're looking at cortisol and how your cortisol is responding. Are you having an appropriate cortisol awakening response? What is your diurnal pattern throughout the day? Diurnal and circadian rhythm, that up and down pattern of your cortisol makes a big difference in how your immune system responds, how you're able to sleep and how you're able to heal. So those are huge. I look at melatonin. Melatonin is a very powerful antioxidant. We look at all of the organic acids, because we're looking at, do you have the capacity to have the B vitamins that you need to detox, right? right. Um, do you have, what is your oxidative stress marker look like? Is that eight hydroxy marker high, low, what's going on there? Um, and when we're looking at the neurotransmitter metabolites, we're looking at sympathetic versus parasympathetic. The sympathetic is that drive, go, stress response. Parasympathetic is the rest, digest, you know, reset. If you are high drive sympathetic, we're going to see part of that right. too. So,
1: and the nice thing about that topic too is I think uh, sometimes there can be maybe a little too much conjecture in the functional mm-hmm. medicine world as we get out ahead of research and we're making up, not making up, but following theoretical concepts and connections. The nice thing about like just breast cancer as an example is lower levels of the specific melatonin marker that we measure, the way that we measure it, not in dried urine, but meaning a waking urine sample and that specific metabolite has been shown to be lower in people who get breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And the 8 hydroxydeoxyguanosine that's our oxidative stress marker, has been shown to be elevated in people who end up getting breast cancer and the cortisol Mm -hmm. curves flattening. You're not talking just conjecture there. Like you can point to the literature um, and then estrogen lifetime, you know, exposure to estrogen Mm -hmm. is linked to the risk of breast cancer. So being able to walk through, gosh, I think you just listed two thirds of a really comprehensive panel The two thirds of those things actually directly have uh, a role in just shifting your risk Uh, maybe ever so slightly, but maybe ever so slightly on three or four different fronts, um, which can be a really great way to just put yourself on a better path towards not getting
0: Um, something like breast cancer. Mm -hmm. So we talked about big, scary words that are hopefully not a huge percentage of our our population base. Um, When you think, you just said a word, stress. Yeah. uh, And and, and some of the things that come along with that, what about like anxiety, depression, the things that seem to be a a pretty large percentage of the population at this point coming in?
2: Especially after COVID? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, how do I see that on the Dutch test? Mm -hmm. So that's... That's a really great question. Uh, And with that, either low mood and or depression and anxiety, like they usually come together, right? I would say in most cases, I see imbalances in cortisol. You can certainly see them in sex hormones too, but a lot of times I see it more in cortisol because of that stress response. When people have imbalanced stress, and I think it also depends on your capacity for resilience Mm. too. You know, some people have just worn, 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 worn down their resiliency. There are other people that just have like this really wonderful capacity to just kind of bounce back. So I think it's also taking into account who that person is, what their history is, and how they've been able to either manage their stress or not. And that can make a big difference when we're looking at stress and resiliency. But whether it is cause or effect, that's going to be the bigger question, right? Like, is this because you have been so stressed out that now you are so stressed out, you're tired, you can't sleep, and now you're depressed and anxious? Or have you just been more of, you know, like that's just kind of your set point that you're just a little bit more anxious and you're a worrier that can further drive some of that stress response too. So it's a snowball that you need to unpack.
1: And some of those um, situations that we've mentioned, one of the things that just comes to mind that's commonly concurrent with those things, is just not sleeping well, and it can exacerbate yeah. so many of those things. Uh, what what does your sort of stereotypical insomnia patient look like on a Dutch test?
2: Ooh, so in we have to remember that as much as cortisol is important, melatonin is important, right? Cortisol is your daytime hormone, melatonin is your nighttime hormone. If you are not sleeping, you don't have the capacity to reset, meaning that your cortisol, when it's supposed to do its thing in the morning, right? Like get up and get you ready for your day, you may not be able to have that punch because you haven't been able to reset everything. So the signaling in your brain is not ready for that. So you start to see this poor response in the morning, so lower cortisol in the morning and or throughout the day. And in some people it'll just be flat, right? But other people you'll have this low, low, slow build and then like, ooh, you have your second wind at like eight o'clock at night. Um, So it kind of depends on where you're at in that pattern. But you can see poor cortisol response in the morning, leading to poor circadian rhythm, poor diurnal pattern, and so it's re—you know—trying to work on resetting that um, to help.
1: Yeah, I think that's where being comprehensive with the cortisol is nice. In that, with the particularly with the Dutch Plus, you can grab that insomnia sample and look at mm-hmm. you know two thirty-seven when you're not sleeping. We can mm-hmm. see whether the cortisol is sort of causative, mm-hmm. so yes or no. Uh, but then the pattern that's happening in the morning whether your cortisol is high at 237 or not, is still very relevant to that. Absolutely. Um, As we hit menopause, not we as much as postmenopausal women hit menopause, they don't tend to sleep very well for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And oral progesterone can help with that because oral progesterone in particular makes allopregnanolone, which is a nice little sleepy hormone, right? Mm -hmm. So that in the absence of that, someone not taking progesterone, do you see a, a connection and correlation between just how much progesterone you make and sleep issues?
2: Yes, 100%.
1: So for your 35-year-old female that's got otherwise normal hormones but isn't making enough progesterone, that might be an issue in terms of insomnia as
2: well. Uh, even if they're making some progesterone, if they're not making a good balance of progesterone for them, and everybody's a little bit different where their you know, set point is, right. but it can make a huge difference for sleep, anxiety, mood, absolutely.
1: Well, that is a lot of really, I think, good, uh, really relevant and common things that people struggle with. And I hope our providers um, really get a lot out of just us being able to pick your brain on those, because I know you've dealt with so many different types of cases and in in people I know personally, successfully. So I think that's helpful. And thank you for uh, illuminating those cases
0: for us today.
2: I couldn't have done it without you, Mark.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us, Debbie and Mark. This has been a wonderful conversation where we've got new nuggets on what we should look at when reading the Dutch Test. If you're a patient and you were listening, make sure you go to dutchtest.com slash find a provider. You wanna find an experienced Dutch provider in your area to help you read the Dutch test. You learned that this is a very comprehensive and complex test that is not worth guessing on. So find somebody in your area that can help you out. If you're not signed up with Dutch yet and you're a new provider, go to dutchtest.com slash provider Fill out that form. One of our onboarding specialists will reach out to you and help you get signed up so that you can start profoundly changing the lives of your patients through hormone testing. I'm Noah Reed, Vice President of Sales and Marketing. Thank you so much for joining us on this first inaugural season of the Dutch Podcast. We hope that you've gleaned some information that's going to help you change the lives of your patients. We're going to take a little bit of break through the summer, and then we're going to come back in Season 2 in the fall, bringing you more information then you know what to do with. It's going to be great. So join us next fall and sign up for the Dutch Digest so that you don't miss any announcements. You can find that on thedutchtest.com and go sign up for the Dutch Digest. Again, thanks for joining us and have a great summer.